Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. All right, Joe. Well, before this uh, episode got started, I watched the very end of the NIT final, which normally I'm not going to sit here and hate on the NIT. I don't ever watch any of it, but I was interested in this final matchup because of that Texas A&M in it. And I've been a huge fan of A&M throughout this entire NIT because I really felt for them. I mean, it seems like A&M has gotten jobbed by the NCAA in football by not making the college football playoff. And this one was a lot worse, though. This team not making the NCAA tournament is probably, in my opinion, the worst snub I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, A&M was great at the end of the season. They put a beat down on Alabama during the regular season. They get into the SEC tournament. They make the final, and they, they basically beat up on Auburn for most of the game. They beat a very good Arkansas team, which we saw make the Elite Eight, beat them pretty handily. And they lost to Tennessee, which a lot of people felt should have been a two or a one seed. And this is, you know, and they don't make it in the NCAA tournament. And so they get in the NIT, and, of course, Buzz Williams does a very articulate argument as to how the numbers show that there's no way they should have been left out of the NCAA tournament. And so I was really hoping I could see A&M just blitzkrieg their, their way through, uh, through the NIT and win it to show that they should have made the NCAA tournament. And you know what? They, uh, they made it to the finals, and they lost by one point. And Joe is quite the game. Actually, uh, Xavier, the, the the player for Xavier that made the winning shot, did a sky hook. It was a tough one, a very contested sky hook to get the win in. And AM had a shot at the last second. And Joe, it went in almost all the way in and then popped out. It was that close. And it was a very good shot for three seconds. And just a really great basketball game. And actually, you know, to look further into it, you know, Xavier has rehired Sean Miller, I'm sure much to the chagrin of the NCAA. And this entire uh, run that they've had in the NIT was by the interim coach. And I kind of feel like if you're Xavier, shouldn't you have, shouldn't you maybe rescind that contract with Sean Miller right now and hire this interim coach who did an awesome job and is someone that doesn't have this NCAA stain behind him? But I digress. You're definitely probably thinking about it. And I think, who was it, Chris Mack that left them for Louisville? He probably definitely regrets leaving Xavier, you know, because he was really good there. Had them actually as a one seed in the NCAA tournament a few years ago. But, yeah, going back to Texas A&M, you know, it sounds like that was just a classic game. I didn't get a chance to watch it. But, you know, a great NIT final. But at the end of the day, you definitely feel for uh, Texas A&M in not making the NCAA tournament. Because I think I said it before on the show, Dan, that I can't help but think that if they were in a different conference like the Big Ten, I don't even think they would have just made the NCAA tournament. I could have seen the experts saying this is like a seven or an eight seed. But because they're in the SEC, they were left out. And if you look at how the tournament played out, the SEC didn't do a whole lot worse than the Big Ten. Like They were kind of on an equal playing field. I mean, that's, the Big Ten got, what, ten teams in the tournament – and I feel like, Joe, that there's a artificial wall that's been put up. And I guess since, you know, you know let's just say that there's, there's, a, there's a Berlin wall of sorts against the SEC getting more than six teams in the NCAA tournament. I've never seen them get that kind of eight teams like the Big East, ten teams like the Big Ten. And I feel like they just didn't put A&M there because they didn't want the SEC to get more than six. They don't want to recognize how good basketball has gotten in the SEC. 
And I know that our results in the tournament wouldn't support that, but if you look at the regular season, what the SEC did to other conferences when they played them, they should have had more than six teams in. And A&M was probably worthy of a seven or an eight seed. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. So it's definitely, you know, disappointing for them, but, you know, they still had a big run there and maybe that can kind of galvanize them for uh, a future uh, tournament success in the NCAA tournament. I want to say years ago, uh, Scott Drew in Baylor made it to the NIT championship game and lost, and that kind of got their program going in men's basketball. Well, Joe, and I've seen it before. Uh, we're talking about this program a lot more later with North Carolina. I know Roy Williams had a year where they didn't make the NCAA tournament, won the NIT, and the very next year they won their na- they won a national championship. I think this was the second national championship at North Carolina, came off of a year the year before where they won the NIT final. Yeah, I remember uh, North Carolina making it to the NIT final. And, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of times you could say that that's uh, hurts your momentum not making it to the NCAA tournament. But I kind of think it depends on, you know, whether you use that for motivation. And if you can make it to the finals and not just phone it in, that can definitely kind of get you on the right track going forward. Absolutely. And so I, I think it's a shame that A&M didn't pull it out. But I will say that I wasn't that upset about it because I've always liked Xavier basketball. I think that a lot of those schools that, that play, you know, that, that style where it's, you know, it's like Catholic schools that are, that are smaller, but they don't have the football programs and they're just all in on basketball. I always find them kind of interesting and I want to root for them. Plus, I like the Xavier mascot, the Musketeer, pretty awesome mascot. Yeah, yeah, I've always liked uh, Big East basketball uh, largely for that reason. Yeah, and so – like I said, I think that was a mistake by Xavier to not retain this assistant coach as head coach. Because I think it's kind of a cool look. You saw the guy at the end of the game. He was so excited. His mom was right there behind him. Just really, really cool moment for their basketball program. And what a great game against a very good team in Texas A&M. And I kind of feel like now you're going to go off of this high and you're going to hire a guy that got investigated by the FBI. Just doesn't really seem to have the same level of wholesomeness to it. Yeah, they probably wish they could uh, rethink that now. Joe, speaking of wholesomeness, though, and someone who is riding high and did, did things now for two programs, let's talk about Shaheen Holloway a little bit. He got introduced as the new uh, Seton Hall coach today. And what a fascinating guy. Of course, Shaheen Holloway was the coach of the St. Peter's Peacocks that became the first 15 seed to ever make the Elite Eight. And he parlayed that run that he had into getting to go home. And, you know, Bear Bryant said it when uh, back in the day when he was the Kentucky coach and Alabama came calling. Of course, Bear Bryant played college football at Alabama that when mama comes calling, you come home. And so, of course, Shaheen Holloway played college basketball at Seton Hall, was was an assistant coach at Seton Hall for 10 years. And that's what he was doing before he took the St. Peter's job. And Seton Hall just opened up, and now he's going to be their head coach. And, Joe, not only is he a former player of Seton Hall, he's one of their most decorated players ever. And actually, fun fact, he was the 1996 uh, MVP of the McDonald's All-American basketball game in high school over the likes of Kobe Bryant and Mike Bibby. That's how good of a player Shaheen Holloway was back in the day. And I think he led Seton Hall to a Sweet 16 while he was there and was um, a first-team All-American and a Big East player of the year before. So he's quite the basketball player, too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and his stock's never going to be higher, so it makes a lot of sense for him to go back home to Seton Hall. And, 
you know, great story there. And oddly enough, ironically, he'll be coaching against the likes of uh, Sean Miller next year and Xavier in the Big East. I know. I think that's funny, too. And Joe, he just seems like such a cool guy, Shane Holloway. So apparently, you know, when when he was a high school prospect, obviously we're talking about how good he was. Everybody wanted him. But he grew up in Queens, and apparently even Coach K came and recruited him. And he told Coach K that the reason that he wouldn't go anywhere but Queens and wouldn't go anywhere but Seton Hall is he's like, well, but my barber's in Queens. How could I go to anywhere that's not in New York City? So he wasn't going to leave home, and he likes Seton Hall. And interestingly, Joe, uh, both St. Peter's and uh, Seton Hall are on the New Jersey side of the New York City border, and I think they're only a couple miles away from each other. So Sheen Holloway doesn't even have to move. I mean, he might even be like one subway stopover from where his college is right now. Yeah, and, you know, that's definitely something, you know, to think about. You know, we think about these coaches sometimes and players almost like chess pieces on the board. But, yeah, when they move and take a new job, that definitely impacts the family having to be uprooted. And so if you can stay close to home, that's definitely a win-win there. Well, and Joe, what I find interesting, too, is, I mean, it's so close that in his introductory press conference at Seton Hall, I think his whole team from St. Peter's came and attended it and applauded him, and he recognized them during the press conference. And, you know, this isn't one of those things where you see the small-time coach parlayed in success and there's any kind of bitterness. This is one that's understandable on, like, every side of it. I mean, the dudes, he played at Seton Hall. He coached there for a long time. It was his dream job. And no matter what happens to St. Peter's, he left it a better place. I mean, he probably made more money for them in one month than their athletic department has ever made in its existence with what he did by taking them to the Elite Eight. I mean, now suddenly they are going to be able to get a good assistant coach to be their head coach. And, I mean, they may, they're going to be able to parlay this money into better facilities, better uniforms, better recruiting opportunities. And you might see St. Peter's in the NCAA tournament more. And who knows, they strike lightning in a bottle again. It could be all thanks to Shane Holloway. Well, you know, that's how Gonzaga kind of got their start as a men's basketball program. They had an Elite Eight run, I think, in 1999. And then their coach left and took another job, and Mark Few was the assistant, and he was retained full-time. And then 22 years later, we know where they are. I'm not saying St. Peter's is going to take that step, but I'm saying you got to start somewhere, and St. Peter's definitely is on a good track. Absolutely, Joe. And you think about it, I mean, I'm, I'm mentioning the fact that it's in Jersey City, New Jersey, which is a New York City suburb just across the way in New Jersey, pretty close to where Seton Hall is. And what he's going to be able to do at Seton Hall is recruit all those New York City, inner city kids that play basketball all the time. I mean, he doesn't have to go anywhere outside of the metro area of New York City to have a team that can win a national championship. And you think about that from the St. Peter's standpoint, you can still get some really good basketball players from there that people miss on. I mean, New York City is such a huge place that suddenly your name is out there. You are an elite eight. You are the Peacocks you were the talk of the state of New Jersey, you can get players that you normally wouldn't have gotten and who wouldn't have even considered you. And so suddenly you're in a great recruiting area. Yeah, I'll be interested to start looking at their recruiting class over the next year to kind of see, you know, how it improves and how it's impacted. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like going back to Seton Hall, I mean, what a great coaching hire. And I imagine they are going to have a very, very good recruiting with, with Shaheen Holloway because, I mean, if you're a kid that lives in New York City or lives in New Jersey and 
you know, is in that area, why wouldn't you want to go play for that guy? Because, I mean, you know, every time they interviewed him, they asked, like, well, what, what did you feel about your team playing Kentucky? And he's like, man, we're from the streets of New York City. We ain't scared of nothing. Nobody gets to us. Nobody's going to out-tough us. And he just has that mindset, which, I mean, I can only imagine if you were from that, how much that – from that area, how much that would appeal to you. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, absolutely. And so I think I think he's going to be a great success. I mean, you know, the, it reminds me, you know, on a negative side, it reminds me a little bit of Scott Frost going back to Nebraska. We haven't seen that that's been a failure yet. It seems to be trending in that direction. But, you know, to me, it seems like – I don't want to say this is a can't miss, but to me it seems almost like it's a can't miss. I just feel like it's going to work. Yeah. yeah and Seton Hall's program is not in a bad place either. Like their coach, I think, took another job. He's been – they were in the NCAA tournament this year too. So, mm-hmm. there's still – there are already some good players on that roster. Absolutely, yeah. No, their, their coach, uh, Scott Willard, took the Maryland job. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, I mean, you know, in Maryland you're in the Big Ten – which is, you know, conference, I guess, improvement. Because obviously the Big Ten, if you can bounce a ball, they'll put you in the NCAA tournament. I think the only requirement is that you have Big Ten behind your name to get into the NCAA tournament. Like, Joe, how did Rutgers get in over, over A&M? I mean, I understand that Rutgers has done a lot with a little, I guess, in basketball. But you compare the resume to A&M, it's a joke that they got in the NCAA tournament. Them and Wyoming was the other one there that I was talking about that maybe shouldn't have gotten in. Yeah, but that, that's what I'm talking about. So I guess, like I said, you know, Maryland's a program that's won a national championship. Um, they're traditionally a very good basketball program. But, you know, point being, I don't know that it's that much better than Seton Hall. Seton Hall has gone to Final Fours before, and they, you know, are in the Big East, which in basketball, in my mind, is one of the top three conferences pretty much every year. So, like I said, I think the Sheen Holloway is going to do quite good, and I understand the coach leaving for Maryland – but I don't know. Maryland seems like it's been a pretty rough place to win out lately. Well, Maryland hasn't been the same since they left the ACC. They just felt like an ACC basketball program. I think so, too. All right, Joe. Well, moving on, I mean, what the Peacocks did was amazing. You know, Sheen Holloway gets that win over Kentucky, which destroyed a lot of people's bracket, including my own. I had Kentucky losing to Auburn in the national championship game. I know I think after uh, – I think after Gonzaga, Kentucky was the odds-on favorite to win the national championship. And, of course, I mean, Kentucky was, wasn't the best Kentucky team, but it was a good Kentucky team. And, I mean, what an amazing win. And they followed up by beating a Murray State team who was a very good mid-major program. They've been there a lot lately. And I know a lot of Kentucky people were worried about playing uh, them in the second round. Um, but what's what blows me away, I think even more than the Kentucky win is – is uh, St. Peter's beating Purdue. Because Purdue, you and I talked about on the show, they were the biggest team in college basketball. They had multiple guys that were seven foot tall, and they had a seven foot four player. And this ragtag group from New Jersey that didn't have a single player that was over six foot seven went in there and cut down the trees and beat Purdue. And to me, that was probably the best win of the tournament. To me, that's even more impressive win even than Kentucky, I think. Well, you also look at the fact that, I mean, this was the best Purdue team I've ever seen. Like, they've had some good teams that have failed to make it um, to the Final Four under uh, their head coach. But this team was loaded because you had the size, but you also had Jaden Ivey, who's probably going to be a top five pick in the draft this summer. And the biggest issue I noticed with Purdue this season is they had size, but a lot of their, their big men didn't have good footwork. Like they couldn't finish inside. 
and I felt that uh, St. Peter's did a good job of disrupting them. Like they had trouble finishing at the rim. St. Peter's had like really better guard play throughout. They did a good job of uh, maneuvering through the press that uh, Purdue put on them defensively. And so, I mean, St. Peter's just came to play. They had a good game plan and another just missed opportunity for Purdue as a men's basketball program. Yeah, um, Joe, uh, Purdue coach Matt Painter probably now is entering the realm of one of the top five best coaches in college basketball to have not made a Final Four yet. I mean, you think about all the success he's had at Purdue. He's had really good teams that you thought were Final Four worthy, maybe even national championship worthy. And, you know, this uh, Big Ten uh, was supposed to be the best league this year. They put 10 teams in. Purdue was the one that won their, uh, their regular season. And they were, I would say, uniformly considered the best team, the team in the Big Ten this year. Yeah, they got balanced by St. Peter's, a team that was much smaller than them. And I think, Dan, um, building off that point, I think it's been 45 years at least since Purdue was in the Final Four. I cannot think of another Power Five men's basketball team that has been as good as Purdue that has not made it to a Final Four in that stretch. Yeah, that's a good point, Joe. I mean, and, you know, it's interesting – is not just Purdue taking 45 years. You think about what St. Peter's did making the Elite Eight. There's some really awesome basketball programs that are Power Five programs that have never gone past the Elite Eight. You know, Alabama has never been past an Elite Eight. So now at this point, St. Peter's has has reached the exact same area that Alabama has in the NCAA tournament and has done it as many times as Alabama has. Alabama was the Elite Eight one time, and St. Peter's is equal to that feat. That's really, really crazy to think about. But yeah, what, absolutely. Ole Miss has made a Sweet 16, right? They've never gone any further than that. Correct. One Sweet 16. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there's there's all kinds of programs we can name right now that St. Peter's has gone farther than them that are D1 Power 5 programs. As That just shows you what Shaheen Holloway did. And, Joe, the best part of them beating Purdue the way they did it is they beat Purdue on National Peacock Day. Mm-hmm. Is fitting. You can't make that up. No, absolutely not. And so, I mean, really just just an amazing job by the, that program. And, you know, mentioning the recruiting they could have, you want to talk about NIL deals. How about the Eddard player for St. Peter's that has the mustache? Now, you can argue the merits of how good his mustache is, but that dude better be getting an agent and making some NIL money right now with some mustache madness t-shirts. There should be one that's got a peacock with a mustache. Uh, I'm just giving you, I'm giving you hints right now, man. If you see this, go out and capitalize on it right now because the NBA I'd, probably odds aren't calling, but this is a time where you need to capitalize on that right now because I would say he is one of the top five most recognizable players that we've had in this NCAA tournament this year. Right, and on that point, I heard it was what Armando Baycott with North Carolina was just saying how starstruck he was with facing him in the Elite Eight. Yeah, and so going to that, Joe, I mean, you know, we all knew that the run to St. Peter's would end eventually, and when North Carolina made that game, I was very nervous for the Peacocks. And that was a rough game for me, Joe, because, of course, you know, I like North Carolina. It's always been, like, my second favorite basketball team. I guess after I went to Ole Miss, now it's my third favorite. But when I was younger, of course, Auburn wasn't very good at basketball. And so my mom went to North Carolina, so I've always liked North Carolina basketball. And I've kind of like been a little bit of a bandwagon fan for them. 
And that was one where because of the story, I did cheer for the Peacocks. But I knew that based on the way North Carolina was playing and just the athletes they have, that that was that was going to be it, especially after, you know, so much emotion and then beating Purdue on National Peacock. Yeah, you just kind of run out of gas at that point. And then the way North Carolina started out the game and St. Peter's, you know, couldn't score and North Carolina just asserted their will. You just kind of knew it was going to be a, a tough day for St. Peter's. That's right, Joe. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, Purdue being – a program who hasn't cashed it in, you know, I, I like, I like Gonzaga a lot. I know that they're one of your favorites, but we got to talk about Mark few now, Joe, because yet again, he doesn't get it done with a team that was number one overall. And he lost to Arkansas, which was, you know, a very good SEC team and one that I had a weird suspicion, maybe one of the ones to make the deepest runs, but that's going to be a tough one for them to stomach, Joe, because that's the second year in a row they were the number one overall seed going in the tournament and they didn't get it done. Yeah, here's what I would say about it. A couple of things. First, you know, I, I think I said before, I never thought this team was as good as last year's team or as good as the 2017 team that made it to the Final Four. I always had questions about this team's guard play. And it puzzled me. They have some talented guards that don't play a lot. And I never felt like uh, Bim, uh, Nimhard was the best point guard to run the show. I've always felt like he works better as a two guard. And you saw against Arkansas, Dan, they did a great defensive job of shutting down Nimhard. Like on the fast break, I heard Eric Musselman talk about it. He studied film and he's like, we found out if we could pick Nimhard up early in the backcourt, and stop him in transition, that would disrupt Gonzaga's offense. And that's exactly what they did. So it's a great job there. But I do think, personally, my opinion is the criticism against Mark Few is unfair. And the reason I say that is I still think that his program is doing more than most programs out there. And I think that it's still just something to apply how consistent they've been I mean, I think they're, they're the only program that's been to, what, like six or seven straight Sweet 16s. And it's not like they're losing in the first round like some programs like Kentucky. And so I, I just can't um, criticize him um, to the effect. Like, I, I would personally probably criticize a John Calipari more than I would have marked few. Well, that's fair, Joe. Let me ask you this, and this is not me espousing this opinion. I'm just asking you. Do you find that Gonzaga is overrated in the seeds that they receive in the tournament, and that's why they're making it as far as they are? You think about it, the West Coast Conference, this year it did have three teams make the tournament, but generally it's either just Gonzaga or just Gonzaga and St. Mary's. And I know that Gonzaga does everything they can to schedule hard out of conference, but are the fact that they're getting a lot of these one seeds due to the fact they're playing in the West Coast Conference? Well – it definitely helps the seeding, but here's the distinction I have there. This is a program that three years ago in the regular season beat Zion Williamson and Duke and R.J. Barrett, that team. Uh, you know, this is a program that has gone through um, some blue bloods over the years. And like I said, with John Calipari, you know, Kentucky was a two seed. They lost to St. Peter's. Gonzaga, you know, we can't completely – just assume that it's easy to get through those 116 matchups, you know, ask Virginia about that with UMBC, you know, it's not a given. And so I just think winning a tournament game is hard. 
And then lastly, I would say that we've seen in previous seasons, I've seen Mark Few make it to the Sweet 16 as an 11 seed before or mm-hmm. a lower seed. And so it's not just the years that they've been a one or a two. Well, Joe, and I agree with you completely on the 2017 season. I mean, you've I'd had this conversation many times. I felt that that was a complete, complete uh, blue blood job that they did on Gonzaga against Netter and against North Carolina in that game, especially the way they treated Zach Collins in that game. The officials intentionally took him out of that game early on some very questionable calls. And Zach Collins was the best player on the floor that night. And I really felt like that Gonzaga team was better than North Carolina. Yeah, that, that team was great. Um, you think about the big men, Collins and Karnowski, Jonathan Williams. And then the player that I don't feel like people talk about enough is Nigel williams Golf. Like, he may be as good of a Gonzaga player as they've ever had at the guard position. And so that was just a talented team. It was. So – I'm not one that sits here and says that I think that Gonzaga is overrated. I've been a huge Gonzaga fan for a long time and impressed by what they do, they've done. But I will say this, Joe, I think that they need for them to win a national championship. They got to move to a different conference. I mean, it, it's time, you know, at this point you see teams like West Virginia playing in the, the big 12 and having to make the travel. Gonzaga needs to go and join the big East. They don't need to join the PAC 12. It's not good enough. I think the Pac-12 is – I mean, shoot, you can make an argument that WCC is, was an equal conference to the Pac-12 this year outside of UCLA and Arizona and USC. I mean, those three teams were great, but the rest of the Pac-12 was garbage. But I think that if Gonzaga joined the Big East, they, they're also a small Catholic university. They fit within the mindset of the Big East right now. They're a basketball school, and I think you would be tough enough by the time you got to the NCAA tournament – where if you played a team like Arkansas, you played that teams that are that good consistently. And I think they need to make that move. Yeah, that probably would help. I think that was one thing that Eric Musselman said. I think he played in the West Coast Conference in college, and he said that he knew that Gonzaga playing in that conference, while they were immensely talented, he's like they probably haven't banged bodies with people to the level that we have. And so if we make it a little bit more physical while they're good, they're not accustomed to that as recently. And so he definitely did that. Like I said, I give him full credit for his defensive game plan. I thought it was absolutely uh, masterful what he did against that offense. But, yeah, I think the other question about Gonzaga's program going forward is, you know, their uh, longtime assistant, Tommy Lloyd, is now the head coach at Arizona, who was also upset in the tournament. But it's going to be a big question about whether Mark Few can continue to recruit at the level that he has without his longtime assistant. That, that's definitely something to watch. Absolutely. That, that is something to look for. And Joe, on the other side of that game, I mean, Arkansas was a great team this entire season. I've always been high on Arkansas and I really like coach Musselman. And, you know, you look at what he's doing he's reaping the rewards of it. I saw Joe that the latest uh, recruiting rankings, Arkansas has the number three overall class this year. So they're, they're bringing back uh, the days of Nolan Richardson. It's happening again at Arkansas and I think Coach Moss is really putting himself in there with the elite of the SEC coaches. And, I mean, right now I, you can't say that he's any less accomplished than Bruce Pearl. I mean, he hasn't made a Final Four. That's the only thing that Bruce Pearl has over Coach Moss right now. And John Calipari, he's got his national championship, but we're a recency-biased team. You know, that's the way we are now. We look at things recently, and Coach Moss has been to back-to-back Elite Eights. and. You mentioned it's been a long time since uh, Kentucky's even made a Final Four. 
Yeah, it, it has been. Yeah, that, that recruiting class for Arkansas, I was looking at the other day, I think they had three five-star recruits and two four-stars. Yeah, so, I mean, he's doing a great job there. And so it was not an embarrassing loss by Gonzaga by any means. But, you know, moving forward, looking at everything else that happened before we get to the teams that actually made the Final Four, I thought Houston made another great run. Of course, they took out Arizona. And, man, Kelvin Sampson, I think that he will win a national championship within the next three years. I'm calling that one. I think Houston is going to be the next team that we have that has never won a national championship that wins one. That is a great defensive team. I mean, my goodness, if they had had any offense against Villanova, they'd be in the Final Four right now. Absolutely. I mean, that was that was quite an effort where Villanova won a game where they shot 28% from the field. But that's what that's what Houston does to you. Um, but, you know, speaking of the first team that we have that made this Final Four, which we had so much craziness. We had Miami an 11 seed making the Elite Eight. We had St. Peter's a 15 seed making the Elite Eight. All these big-time programs, Kentucky, Auburn, going out in the second round, uh, you know, Purdue going out in the Sweet 16, uh, you know, all over the place, Arizona going out in the Sweet 16. But Villanova with a very thin lineup that only really had six starters was able to win a game against Houston in which they shot 28% and out Houston, Houston, essentially. And Jay Wright, I mean, what an underrated coach. He's got two national championships right now. He's in the final four again with a chance to win a third one. And Joe, I know he lost Justin Moore, but, you know, even losing his second best player, don't you feel like there is a decided coaching advantage with Villanova, uh, with Jay Wright over Bill Self, who while he has a national championship, I think it may be one of the most BS national championships ever. Well, the ironic thing there is, you know, I, I told you, I think last week that um, John Calipari and Bill Self both have a national championship each, but it's against each other. And I think that that pretty much sums up their career. Like, I don't think, either one of them probably would have beaten anybody else in a championship game setting, <laughs> unfortunately for them, you know, cause they, they've ha had good teams just can't get it done. So, yeah, I think that Jay Wright definitely gives uh, Villanova a big advantage as far as the coaching standpoint. What I worry about uh, Villanova though, in this game is their lack of depth, not having Justin Moore. I'm um, also like uh, Kansas, uh, as far as uh, their experience on their team. Like I know that Gillespie's a senior for Villanova, a fifth year guy, Big East player of the year, but Abaji and David McCormick and those guys, uh, Braun for uh, Kansas, they're like juniors and seniors. They've been around that program a while. And they go about seven or eight deep. So I really, uh, my preliminary thought, uh, Dan, is I really do kind of like Kansas to win this game. Well, Joe, not only do they have all those guys that you mentioned, they also have the best name player in all of college basketball, that being Remy Martin. Yes, yes. He's a former um, Arizona State uh, transfer who came into the season like with a lot of uh, prowess, but he had kind of underwhelmed, but he's been their best uh, player of the tournament. I mean, Joe, you're talking about NIL deal. That one's just made in the shade. I mean, why is there not a video uh, and, you know, why is there not commercials of him already just sipping on Remy Martin? Mm -hmm. In fact, if he wins the national championship, Remy Martin ought to pay him a lot of money to be drinking Remy Martin while he's celebrating winning the national championship. I can see that. I can see that. that I think, I, like I said, I think they've got a good chance to win. I hate it for Villanova because, I mean, Villanova's a team that's spirited. 
you know, it's a program that's been proud the last few years, good, great coach in, uh, in Jay Wright, you know, the kind of players you, you really want to root for with uh, the passion they play with. But um, I, I just I, I think Kansas is probably going to end up uh, winning the game. Well, Joe, this is interesting because, you know, out of all the teams in the Final Four, I think Kansas has the best draw in the way it's set up. you got a wounded Villanova team right now that if the winner of this game, if Kansas wins, they're going to play a team, either North Carolina or Duke, that is coming off the most emotional game they've ever played in their entire lives. I mean, this is going to be the most watched college basketball game in the history of college basketball, the North Carolina-Duke game. I mean, it's amazing. And they're going to get this team that, regardless of its Coach K going for his last national championship or Hubert Davis coming off another monumental upset of Duke, they're going to be worn out mentally, emotionally, physically. And North Carolina, I mean, in Kansas, assuming they win that game, is going to come in there in the catbird seat. And if Bill Self can't win this one, then there's going to be a lot of mad Jayhawks right now. You're right. You're right. It's interesting, you know, Kansas may end, end up kind of backdooring their way into a title. And it'd be so ironic because I know this team won the Big 12 and, you know, they're a one seed. But I felt like they were kind of the one seed, was similar to Arizona, like nobody really knew anything about. Because, you know, they're a little bit more of an underwhelming Kansas team on paper compared to some of the other teams they've had over the years. You know, they don't necessarily have – I know they've got a Baji. He was the Big 12 player of the year, but – they just don't have those household household names like they've had in the past. You know, there's not like a Paul Pierce on this team. And so I say that to say that it'd be really weird if Kansas ended up winning the national championship, giving out how the season's played out. Like they have really never at any point been a headline on the calendar. So it'd be you know weird to see them win the whole thing. Well, Joe, and I'll be honest, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm the foremost authority on college basketball, but I completely dismissed Kansas after Kentucky went into Fall Gallon and beat them by 40 points. I mean, I just I stopped, I stopped caring about them at that point. I did. I saw them as a team that couldn't possibly win a national championship when Kentucky went in there and absolutely just curb stomped them. No, that, that's a good point. Um, one other interesting thing about them, I read today – that pretty much every time the Final Four has been hosted by New Orleans in the Superdome, Kansas has been in the Final Four. I think this is the fourth straight time the Final Four has been in New Orleans that Kansas has been in the Final Four. Interesting stat right there. But, yeah, Joe, going into this, I mean, I think that, you know, I think Bill Self, I'm not saying he's not a good coach because obviously you can look at what he's done. He's very consistent. But I look at him as a little bit of a big game Bob with Oklahoma type thing. You know, big game Bob had a national championship too. But when he got to the big times, he seemed to really always fall apart and get beat pretty badly. And that's been kind of Bill Self's thing ever since he, you know, won that one against Memphis and Calipari when Memphis blew a big lead because he couldn't buy a free throw. Um, and I just think Jay Wright is just such a better coach than he is. And it's one where, like, I looked at the stats earlier, and Jay Wright has got something like a 16-5 and five record against Bill Self. I mean, he kills them. I mean, and it's something like when he plays Big 12 teams, I think he's got like a 30-5 and 30 and five or 30-6 and six record. You know, all of the stats outside of Justin Moore going out in the coaching arena says that uh, Jay Wright should win this game. And I just – I think that Jay Wright, once Coach Krzyzewski leaves, he's the best coach that's left in college basketball. And 
even though I know that Kansas has got Obaji and Chance McCormick and Remy Martin, and they got a lot more star power than just the Colin Gillespie that Villanova has, I just feel like there, there's going to be a way that Villanova, just like they did against Houston, figured out how to win because Jay Wright is that much of a tactician. And like I said, I'm going to go Villanova in the upset here solely because of the way I feel about Jay Wright as a coach. Okay. Well, I think if Villanova wins, the recipe is a lower scoring game, like probably somewhere in the 50s, low 60s. And I think Kansas wants to get out in transition and score more. But, I mean, I'll say this. If Villanova wins and, let's say, they play Duke, that would be kind of an interesting potential passing of the torch game, um, you know, if, if that happened. Absolutely. And, you know, Joe, I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but this is the ultimate blue blood final four. I mean, outside of putting Kentucky or UCLA in this, which also would have been blue, there's no way that you could have had four more story programs, I feel, in this than having North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, and Villanova in there. Now, Villanova is not a traditional blue blood, but lately with what Jay Wright's done, I think they've become a new blood, and they're probably – you look over the last five years, they're the most, you know, accomplished college basketball program out there. Right. They trump uh, UCLA and Kentucky the last five and seven years. Absolutely. And, Joe, moving on to the other semifinal, you know, I, I think you like Kansas in the Villanova, you know, Kansas game. Going to Duke in North Carolina, you know, I can't think of a game of more significance – um, you know, that was essentially a semifinal that we've ever seen in college basketball or any sport, really. The only thing I can think of is maybe the 2004 ALCS with the Red Sox and the Yankees, where it was game seven and the Red Sox came back from three games down to tie it up. And then they had the Yankees in game seven. I mean, uh, you know, my cousin Tar Heel Tom is going to this game. I have no idea how much he paid to go to this, but he's going to the Final Four in New Orleans to see it. But, I mean, this uh, – you couldn't have written this script, and you're going to get to see what I think is going to be the most hyped college basketball game in the history of college basketball in this North Carolina Duke matchup. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has that hype. You know, we have a week, you know, to kind of get ready for it the last few days uh, in between games and – the buildup and the backdrop of the final four. And, you know, uh, you just look at the storylines for both teams. You know, Davis, his first year as the head coach in North Carolina, um, a team with a lot of talent, you know, that was inconsistent all year. And then Coach K, I guess, just the only fitting way for him to go out in his 13th final four appearance. And so just the storylines with that just write themselves. And you look at how the culmination is going to go. I, I guess the biggest question is, can the game uh, live live up to the hype, I guess? Absolutely. I mean, this is going to be the third time they've played. And, Joe, both of them were beatdowns, one by Duke to begin the season, and then North Carolina, obviously, in Coach K's last game in Cameron Indoor, where, I mean, essentially North Carolina was supposed to be, you know, the, the Washington Generals, the team that the Harlem Globetrotters beat up on. But they were supposed to lay down for Duke in that game. And instead – North Carolina went out there and beat up on them and beat them handily. And what I'm sure is probably the most outside of winning a national championship, the most satisfying North Carolina win that any anybody's ever seen. And so now you have that backdrop in that you have this final four matchup between the two of them. And it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be, you know, which one of those games was the real thing? Are we going to see another beatdown one way or the other? Is now that we've seen that both teams have taken advantage of something that the other one had, is it going to be a tight one? Yeah. 
it's tough to say. I mean, I go back and forth with this matchup and my prediction because when you look at it from the North Carolina side, you know, I know they're an eight seed, but they're playing their best basketball now. They've been a different team down the stretch. And you look at the talent on this roster. I mean, uh, Baycott, you know, it's been kind of like the next com- uh, coming of Tim Duncan with the numbers he's put up being a double-double machine down the stretch. And, um, you know, Brady Manick is just such a great three-point shooter. And the other um, players they have in their starting lineup are all, you know, more than uh, serviceable players that are very – R.J. Davis is a very solid point guard. Yes, yes, Davis is one of the next good, great uh, North Carolina point guards. And then on the Duke side, you know, you see a team that uh, pretty much has uh, surprised people all tournament long. Um, there's been uh, – I've heard experts pretty much through the second ra- – since the second round um, in the tournament thinking they might get upset. Like, I think when they played – who was it, Dayton? Was it Dayton in the second round? I can't remember they played the Davidson. Davidson. A lot Davidson. of people had him losing Davidson, yeah. Yes, yes. From Davidson on, it's like thinking they could lose then. But they, every step of the way, they continue to survive, like, these gritty tests against just two defensive teams, Dan, that were so talented with Arkansas and Texas Tech. And so it's just hard to pick against them at this point. So that, that's kind of the conundrum I'm in. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing, too. You feel like Duke has really grown in this – during this uh, this run they've had. They had to really gut out a win against Michigan State, which, of course, is always going to be one of the best coach teams. And – one that doesn't make a lot of mistakes with Tom Izzo, and they won a close game there. And then when they got to Texas Tech, that was one where you and I both picked Texas Tech to beat Duke. We thought that that style would frustrate the high-flying, talented players that Duke had, that Texas Tech was going to really, like, wear them down and play just a very defensive game and win. But Duke, you know, credit to them, they were down again at the end. They really closed that game out well. And what they did to Arkansas was absolutely impressive. I haven't seen anybody beat Arkansas like that all season long, except for maybe Texas A&M. But, I mean, they really beat up on Arkansas after Arkansas was fresh off that monumental win against Gonzaga. And so Duke's playing their best basketball right now. And when you want to look at the Final Four, Duke's playing better than any of them is right now. I mean, North Carolina's played great too, but I definitely think when you look at – who they've had to go through and what they've done, Duke's playing the best basketball right now, and they appear on the surface to be the best team. I think so. I think so. And, and there's just something to be said, I think, about Coach K and the spilling like destiny, and then also just um, how hard it is to finish off, you know, a coach. Like, obviously, nobody's going to have the precedent of Coach K really right now in the modern era for college basketball, but still trying to, you know, put his career to bed if you're North Carolina, that's just such kind of a, a tough task. Uh, Duke's not going to go quietly. And so I really feel like we're shaping up for Duke to make it to the championship game. Like, I, I don't think I can pick against them based on how everything's just perfectly laid out for them right now. Yeah, Joe, and you think about it, like we mentioned the talent that North Carolina has, and they do, but it's all in their starting lineup. They don't have a lot of depth. And this Duke team is just loaded, like, from top to bottom with Bancaro, with Williams, um, with all of this, with the, with Roach. Roach is playing great basketball. I mean, they're just – they got a lot going on, and their, their bench just seems to be a lot deeper than North Carolina's. And what's going to be interesting is, I mean, we know how smart Coach K is and how he adapts his game plan. What North Carolina did in that last game against Cameron Indoor – 
if you look at the stat sheet, it was pretty much identical everywhere except for free throws. They were able to get the ball inside and draw a lot of fouls. And so you think that if Duke can clean that up, they're going to win the game. It's just a question of, is that something that North Carolina can hit them with again? Mm-hmm. Right. And North Carolina can absolutely win this game. Like, would not surprise me either way. But just emotionally, I feel like Duke is going to win it. Um, I see a game probably coming down. I'm not sure if it'll be one possession, but I could see like a four or five point game where it's, you know, close throughout. Maybe Duke hits a few uh, late free throws to kind of seal the deal. Um, and, and I really think that, you know, coming out of the pressure of that last home game for Duke, I don't think enough people talked about the pressure that Coach K and the team felt to win that game for him, having all those former players and everybody there. And, and I know that there's pressure here in the Final Four, but to me it helps Duke that this game is not a Cameron Indoor. I think so too, Joe. I'm with you on that. And I think it really helps what Duke has had to go through already to get here. I mean, North Carolina, most of their games have been pretty easy. Now, of course, what they did against Baylor, blowing a 25-point lead after Manning got tossed out for a flagrant two and then beating them in overtime after blowing that lead against, of course, an excellently well-coached Scott Drew Baylor team was something that showed a lot of moxie. But you've seen Duke do it in three games so far in this tournament already. And – you just feel like with the way you're seeing Bancaro and Williams playing on the inside, I don't think that Baco is matched up against anyone on the inside playing the same well that Mark, Mark Williams is right now. And I don't see them getting as much cheap stuff on the inside. Joe, I like Duke in this game, but I like it. And I think it's going to be a high scoring game. And I think that, you know, here's my lock of the week right here. I like the over in the North Carolina Duke game. Both of them are not great defensive teams, but excellent offensive teams. And I think that there's going to be a lot of points scored. I like Duke to win this game 82 to 74. Okay. I'll go Duke 85 to 80. Okay. All right. And that's going to be, that's going to leave us with a Villanova. Uh, it's going to be either a Kansas Duke or a Villanova Duke. And Joe, are you saying here you're going to go with Duke to win it all? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I, at this point, for lack of a better way to put it, it just feels like it's, it's just meant to be for Coach K at this point. Absolutely. I mean, you know, he and North Carolina and Duke have never played in the NCAA tournament, not a single time. And now you're going to see your first ever matchup in Coach K's final season in his final four where he made it for the 13th time passing uh, John Wooden. So now he's got more final fours than anyone else. And he's going to take on North Carolina in this matchup in his last season for the first time they've ever played. Everything is is being set up for the Hollywood ending for Coach K. His basketball team looks the best. And I think that they've been through a lot of turmoil and they're going to win this game. And if it's a if it's a beleaguered Villanova team, like I think it is, they're going to be so much more talented than Villanova. And when it comes down to coaching chops, if Kansas is able to get it done, you really got to like that Coach K over Bill Self matchup in the national championship. So, yeah, I'm going with Duke to win this, and I'm calling Blue Devils to get national championship number six for Coach K, and he gets a swan song moment. The Blue Devils win the Blue Blood matchup of Final Four teams. That's absolutely it, – it's all blue. Bubba dee, bubba da. Absolutely. And that's what you're going to have in this. So, yeah, definitely Blue Devils getting the Final Four title of the All Blue Bloods Final Four. With that being said, we'll, we'll come back next week and we'll discuss what happened. 
And uh, you can check out all of our episodes on Spotify. Look at the Dangerous Sports Show on Spotify. You can find our YouTube channel and subscribe to it. We got all the episodes from the last few months up there. Of course, you can also follow us on Twitter at DJ Sports Show. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Jeff.